Tim Fincham was a commissioner of the PGA Tour from 1994 to 2017. He expanded the PGA Tour beyond what any of us could have imagined during his time as commissioner and is a very big reason why the golf that you watch today looks and feels the way that it does. Just as an example, he presided over three major television broadcast contract deals. The one in 97, the one in 2001, the one in 2005. The FedEx Cup. The FedEx Cup playoffs. The President's Cup. The World Golf Championships. They're all just parts of the legacy that he has left us with. Although there are a couple of other things of great distinction. During his two decades plus reign, prize money on the PGA Tour quadrupled from just under $100 million on three tours in 1994 to more than $400 million across those professional tours and more when he retired in 2017. Maybe more importantly, during his tenure, the tour and all of its tournaments raised more than, wait for this, folks, $2 billion in charitable contributions. What he did for the first tee is another example of paying it forward and how that will pay dividends for years and years to come. His imprint, his impact on the game of golf is so substantial. It is the reason why Tim Fincham will forever be enshrined in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Absolute delight to welcome him to the Fairways of Life show. Tim, congratulations. How have you been? Thank you, Matt. Those are very nice words. Um, you know, I suspect I've been okay, given the fact that I'm healthy with what's going on everywhere in the world. It's um, It's been a very difficult time for all of us, I think. And some of us notice it more than others, but it's uh, it's had a... A phenomenally negative impact on so many people. Um, so I, I find myself, um, I suppose, lucky. Um, but hopefully, we can pull ourselves out of this. Is is Tim Fincham in May of 2020? Are you a healthier Tim Fincham than you were before? Because we're talking about this and the risk and all the rest. I'm talking about the stress that goes with the position that you had and all the rest. How do you feel? I feel good. I, my my energy level is good. Um, I uh, I miss I miss what I did for a long time. I really started doing stuff with the, the tour back in '85 in Washington, and then uh, came down to Florida first as uh, uh, president of corporate operations, and then later. Um, chief operating officer before I became commissioner. So it was a very long run. And, you know, you do those things, you, you just get used to certain things. Um, and uh, one of the things you get used to is you're on the go uh, 24 hours a day, uh, 24, you know, every, every day of the year, really. And uh, there's no let up. So, so it's, you get used to that, and then you have this constant adrenaline flow. So, you know, I, I see a lot of folks who retire and they they kind of fall back a little bit. I I really enjoyed working and, and nowadays I enjoy spending time with the first tee and 
see, seeing some of the tour folks from from time to time and talking to people like Matt Adams, always interesting. When when you found out that you were going to be inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame, Tim Fincham, how did it strike you? How did you find out? Uh, some of the some of the guys who right before we the week that we canceled the Players Championship, um, the the uh, committees had been meeting earlier that week, and uh, some of our people had been around. And are in on those committees, and others know the people on the committees. And uh, somebody said that I was under consideration, and uh, it kind of took me candidly. It took me by total surprise. Um, I've never been, you know, candidly a, a huge advocate of non-athletes going in the Hall of Fame of an athletic sport, but. Um, Having said that, for the people who have been involved in the in the Hall of Fame, the people in the golf organizations that have supported the Hall of Fame over the years, uh, for them to to uh, give me that recognition uh, means everything in the world to me. What was it like when you actually found out that it was done, that you, in fact, had been nominated and accepted as a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame? Well, I, I um, humbled, I guess, is the best word for it. Uh, you know, I, I've been watching uh, tour players since I was eight, nine years old. Um, and I have a phenomenal amount of respect and love, actually, for uh, the vast majority of those players, uh, particularly the ones that made a huge impact on, on where the game went. And I'd put, I'd put Arnold at the top of the list, but Jack and many others right there with him. And, uh, uh, you know, to, to have those, uh, those folks, uh, you know, to be able to be, think, think to perpetually be beside them in terms of, you know, who was, who made who made the strides that uh, that Arnold referred to in your opening? Um, you know that's that's humbling. That's, that's the only word I can think of. When you were a boy, Tim Fincham, back in Virginia Beach, what did you dream that you would be one day? <laughs> yeah, well, well, when I was, uh, my dad was in the Marine Corps for thirty years. He had six kids. We had no money. We had no air conditioning. Um, <laughs> but but I had the opportunity to. My dad took me down to to uh, Wilmington to the uh, Azalea Azalea uh, tournament down there in nineteen. I think I was eleven in fifty eight. I saw Arnold Palmer play, uh, and then. Just a couple, three years later, the big three got together. And in my backyard in Virginia Beach, I had three tin cans buried, uh, open but buried. I had one iron club and a wiffle ball. And uh, I would, uh, I would for each of the cans, I'd make a stroke like Gary, a stroke like Jack, 
in a stroke like Arnold. And uh, <laughs> if you would have told me then that years later um, I was going to be working closely with those three gentlemen, uh, I would have said you're crazy. <laughs> but uh, but um, you know when 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 Arnold Palmer uh, in particular came to Augusta National. And and the Masters really took off. Uh, that that if you go back and look at all the numbers, that started a multi-decade growth of golf in the United States, which hasn't been paralleled, certainly in terms of facilities. People people wanted golf, uh, and it had everything to do with the charisma and the interest generated by those three guys. And then gradually, as things went along, a whole host of others uh, to all the way to Tiger Woods today. And uh, it's a it's a phenomenal thing to watch. Phenomenal thing to watch. And and having been you know sort of involved in that for twenty five or thirty years from the inside, that it, it's uh, you know you, you just can't ask for anything more in life than to have those kind of experiences. Were you able to grasp the significance of those kind of experiences, as you phrase them, Tim Finchin, when you were in the middle of them, sitting down with, say, the big three or any of the massive names in the game? Did you did you did you have a moment that evening to kind of uh, maybe a glass of wine and a step away from it and go, "Wow, you can't believe what took place today"? Or did it take until you left being commissioner to where you kind of look back now and can shake your head and say, "This was what an incredible run"? Oh no, no, it was much earlier. Um, it was much earlier because, uh, you know, I had watched as I, I grew up, I watched them just like kids do today. They look at the, the, the good, the good young players are looking at the guys who already won tournaments, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, to, to know, I, I you know, I, I came along at a time when I had the unique fortune to uh, interface with Hogan, Sneed, uh, that generation, uh, with Jack and Arnold in that generation, with all the great players from around the 80s and the 90s, uh, with Tiger in that generation. And, um, you know, they're all different. They're all unique. One of the great things about our sport is that at the professional level is Every player is different. Every player has his own views, but they have they have very similar instincts. They they have good solid instincts about what's best for the sport, why the sport has to be what it is in terms of its presentation, and in, in terms of the way it handles the rules, in terms of the face uh, that it puts forward to everybody, young and old. And the players, the players support all of that. And during my tenure, uh, you know, knowing that the players felt that, believed in it, were passionate about it, it made my life a lot easier. When you describe these legends, the players, as each of them being different, being unique from era to era to era, yet solid in their instincts for what is in the best interest of the game, if you were addressing a group of young people, maybe at the first tee, Tim Fincham, and you wanted to discuss attributes of champions, 
Is there common attributes from one champion to another, even though they're different and unique? Well, I, th- I think there are a lot of things that they have in common beyond winning a golf tournament. Um, and I think that most of the players who who ascend based on their performance to the upper echelons of and it's not just money, it's recognition. Um, they, you know, I, I know I'm not going to diss any sport. I love all the sports, so I'm not going to diss them. But, but in other sports, you'll see players who, who project some negativity. Uh, players, PGA Tour players, strongly believe that they have a, a duty uh, to help generate resources that go back into the community to help people who need it. Uh, but also uh, doing what's necessary to contribute to the image of the sport. at the Because at the, they know from, from having watched the players grow up, they know how they felt when they were 10, 11, 12, 14, 16 and watched, watching these great players. And they could feel they could just feel, you know, what that means and to, to people and and uh, getting behind it, taking advantage of it, wanting to contribute to it is something that is just nowadays uh, a consistent characterization of tour players. When To use those same age frames that you just laid out for us, Tim Fincham, 10, 11, 12, 14, 16, if Tim Fincham today could get into a time machine and give advice to himself at in those in any one of those ages, what would your advice be for a young Tim Fincham? Uh, you're not good enough to play on the tour. <laughs> uh, what comes to, comes to mind? <laughs> uh, but uh, you know. Here's, here's my theory on, on what you're talking about. The, the young player today, for about four years ago, when I was retiring, I was at a, a, we have a, a welcome event for players who get their cards for the first time. And I'm, I'm approached by these two young guys who were just out of college, and, but were good players and they were headed for the tour. And um, they came to me, kind of took me inside, and they said, Mr. Fincham, well, we have a question to ask. You, you know, we noticed that the very top players uh, really spend a lot of energy uh, giving, giving charitable dollars. Many of them have their own foundations. And uh, we were thinking about going together and, and, and creating our own foundation so we can help out as we go forward. Now, nobody asked these guys to come up with that conclusion, but they could see they could see that why why it, it, it's the glue that comes together to make the PGA Tour unique, and at the same time, uh, you know, makes you feel good about what you're doing because it's unique and because it generates those things. And uh, you know, if 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 I was if I was knew what I know now and talking to that kid uh, when he was 12, I would talk to him about that. 
I think that, that, that the, you know, the, there was a watershed with golf, professional golf in our country, right about the time Tiger uh, came along. It was somewhat coincidental, but um, he, he's, he, he, hit, he hit the nerve with young guys, with the way he played the game and the way he won. And, uh, and I, and that was in, you know, that was, that was back when, when Tiger was a kid, but it was already happening. And, and it was also in, in 96, it was the same time frame that the golf channel was launched. Um, and, and all of a sudden, and it was the same time that the internet came forward. They all came at the same time. Tiger, Internet, Golf Channel, all at the same time. So all of a sudden, you're a parent, and you've got a 14-year-old, uh, 13, 14-year-old is showing some interest and some uh, capability in the game. And uh, that parent is now more interested, perhaps, in providing the resources that that 12, 14, 15-year-old needs to grow into the game at a high level. Meanwhile the kid has access all day long on the internet, all day long on the golf channel uh, with our golf on television to study the top players. And nowadays when those guys get their card for the first time, they are extremely knowledgeable and extremely mature in, in how they're going about uh, making their contribution. And, and that is a really significant sea change from 40 years earlier and uh, has a lot to do with that success. We, we, we had success with a lot of different things. And, and Jay Monahan is having phenomenal success now. But it's because of those kind of things that drive uh, nowadays Jay's ability to get done the, the incredible number of things he's, he's getting done. And uh, it, it's just fun to watch. Some fun to analyze and and fun to understand uh, those kind of metrics. And all of those things are a testament to what you accomplished during your tenure as well. And I do want to circle back around and talk to you more about the charitable side and the first tee in a moment. But there's something that I've been wanting to ask you about for some time because it's become somewhat of lore. Uh, I don't believe that it's myth, but I'm curious where, where the truth lies in it. And that is... This idea that you were in a jet crash and how serious that actually was versus what people thought happened. Can you shed some light on, on that for us? Yeah, I'll try to do it in uh, shorthand. Uh, Dean Beeman was commissioner. Uh, I was deputy commissioner. We had a, a eight-seat um, eight aircraft. We, were in it, we went in, in it up to, uh, to meet with ESPN early in the morning. Uh, in Connecticut, um, the uh, we did it. We took a hard landing out of a little airstrip outside of uh, Hartford, and um, we took a hard landing, and the uh, right strut collapsed, and uh, we went flying down this this uh, taxiway sideways. Um, at a very high speed, we went off of the off of the pavement, and we happened to go between two planes that were were there, and uh, 
when we came to a stop, you could smell gas being beaming through the through the uh, emergency door open, and we got everybody out. We had two guys. Had uh, my wife was on the plane with me. Oof. She actually took it easier than I did, to be honest with you. But uh, the uh, two guys had uh, whiplash. Uh, but that was the end of it. We got a, we went on over and did our breakfast. The ESPN dean got up to speak and he said, "You can't, I can't tell you how glad we are to be." be <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was scary. It was scary. It, it, oh my it, gosh! It, you, you kind of think about it from time to time when something like that happens. I didn't realize it was even that serious. I want to ask you about another era of your incredible career too. When when you were serving in the White House during the Jimmy Carter administration. When you look back on those years, the the rough and tumble that is uh, the politics and everything else that goes into serving in the in the West Wing, I wonder how well that prepared you for being commissioner of the PGA Tour in terms of just to expect the angles that people come from. Well, I think anytime you can, you know, in, in that period of my life after uh, high school, law school. And then eventually into Washington, I, I, uh, you know, probably the number one thing about it was the people you spend time with. They're, they're phenomenal people, interesting, smart people, educated, good thinkers. Um, and you take advantage of that and you learn from it. Um, the, uh, the, the politics side of it, though, is fundamentally different today than it was then. It, you know, in those days, I, I used to know uh, Speaker O'Neill, Tip O'Neill from Boston very mm. well. He's a Democrat. He, he used to go and sit down with Ronald Reagan, you know, West Coast Republican. And they worked things out. Uh, they didn't let stuff sit around the Congress for six months or three years while everybody made faces at each other. They... They, they figured out a way to work it out. And, uh, you know, they also, you know, the, the, the government was populated with people, many of whom weren't there because of their own ego or their own interest in the next political office. They were there because they wanted to help make a difference and they wanted to get things done. Uh, that's really not the case anymore, and uh, you know I don't have an answer for it. I don't know. You know I, I don't know if it's ever going to get better, because what really turned it was the the extent of negative media in our country, and uh, how that's kind of over the years taken hold, so that you know the network we got networks involved in it. We got you know people screaming at each other. We got uh, Trump calls it fake news, but but both sides are, you know, coming up with stuff all the time. And it's hurt the other guy, tear the other guy down, tear the other woman down. Um, and, and I worry about that from the standpoint of the stability of our country. Um, we're a very strong country. I'm sure we'll get through it. But it, the, the roadblocks are very different today than they were then. As to the future of the country. There are a number of different initiatives that, that took place under your tenure, uh, not the least of which the massive growth of, of charitable endeavors that, that you noted that with the players' recognition of, et cetera. But it took a vision. 
and also the first T. And, and and you and I have talked about your involvement and your passion for and your belief in the first T in the in the past. And I always love to ask you the question that when you're involved in something like the first T, how for Tim Fincham have you been personally touched by the virtues of that program? Have you had the ability to see and meet the kids and know the impact that it's making? And how does that make you feel? Well, there's three or four different levels of that, but, but, but you're right. The, the first and foremost and clearly the most impactful is being able to watch a young boy, girl, uh, get on their feet and tell their story. A story, a story that most oftentimes is a story that focuses on why um, not just learning how to play the game of golf to some extent, but also uh, learning uh, what the core core life values really are, and, and most importantly, how you can put those core values to work. You know, in on the golf course, at school, at home. With friends, uh, there there are core values that that, that you know can can you know move you toward where you want to be. And watching that process is overwhelmingly impactful. And that's that's fundamentally why First Tee's had the success it has, why it's been successful in raising the resources going back now twenty twenty three years. Hmm. Uh, but there are other pieces to it. Uh, uh, you know, for Jack Nicholson, Arnold Palmer, and Gary Player to get involved in First Team. Uh, for President Bush, 41, to agree to be the first honorary chair and serve in that capacity for 13 years, uh, moving around the country, uh, encouraging people on First Team. Uh, for President Bush, 43, to take the reins, and now has been uh, almost 10 years in, uh, in 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 his new role as 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 uh, uh, honorary chair. And so there are a variety of elements, not not the least of which are these phenomenal people uh, who love the game of golf. You see the game of golf as more than just a sport uh, and more than just a recreational element. It, it's a sport that has the capability to change lives. And uh, it's those people who uh, come forward and support what this, what this program is doing. And, and, uh, uh, and, and by doing so, they themselves send the message that, that, that the first tee has a bright, bright future. So, too, the game of golf at large, and specifically the PGA Tour. The tour has raised billions, with a B, folks, billions towards charitable endeavors, much of those dollars staying and going right back into the communities that host these different tour events. Could you have believed, Tim Fincham, and not only during your tenure, perhaps even during our lifetimes, that a sport, that the game of golf, could become, through your guidance and that of others, a vehicle to raise this kind of money and to change lives the way that it does? Well, my predecessor, Dean Beeman, who is a, you know, we, we talk a lot about, about you know, my role for 
good number of years. Uh, and uh, a very strong leadership that Jay Monahan is providing now. But Dean, Dean had very difficult challenges when he became commissioner at the age of 35. Um, in those days, individual tournaments owned television rights. There was no pooling of television rights, so you had very little leverage to get things done. Um, but one of the things that he espoused and, and really has, has hung on as something very important throughout the PGA Tour is, uh, is, is constant fallback to this question, is it the right thing to do? And uh, he felt very strongly that uh, communities would react positively to our, our being aggressive in terms of building the charitable impact. And, uh, and that has certainly occurred. He, he was a great prognosticator in that regard. And, and, you know, most, most places we play have, have got to a critical mass of impact where, you know, the effort now sort of feeds on itself and it continues to grow and grow and grow. Uh, most tour players are involved in it one way or the other. Um, and it, 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 in my view, it's, um, it, it really separates our sport in many ways, oh, not to denigrate, denigrate any other sports, but it separates us out in generating that kind of impact. And, I, and watching in recent years, uh, some of the other leagues, you know, focusing more and more on that, I think is great. Not just, not just because it helps us too, but, but because uh, the communities where those leagues play, uh, just like the communities where we play, they all have needs. Um, they're all having difficulties, and, and, and probably more so right now than any time in the last 25, 50 years. So um, it's to see sports step up, come to the plate, and get that kind of stuff done makes all of us feel proud, and uh, I was just glad to be a part of it. A part of it you were, sir, and then some. Tim Fincham will be forevermore enshrined in the World Golf Hall of Fame for his role as commissioner of the PGA Tour in helping to formulate, start, to foster all of these initiatives that the game is known for now. An absolutely incredible period of growth and maturity for the game of golf. Tim, we are extremely proud and happy for you, and we very much appreciate you taking the time to join us and, and wish to convey a deep, deep congratulations for this honor. Thanks, Matt. I've had, I've had as you suspect, I've had my share of interviews over the years. You, you, you're right up there at the top. You do a great job. Um, uh, you went right to the heart of matters, and um, I really appreciate the time with you, and I I know your I know your show is very very uh, heavily uh, populated by fans all over the world, and uh, I wish you well as that continues to grow.